Shall we open Paul's letter to Timothy? It's the second one. There are two, 1 Timothy and 2 Timothy. And we'll look at the fourth chapter of 2 Timothy, reading verses 6 through 8. We're starting at the end of the letter, and then we'll look back at the beginning a little later in the sermon. Hear God's word to us. For I am already being poured out like a drink offering, and the time for my departure is near. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only to me, but to all who have longed for his appearing. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. O Lord, open my lips and let my mouth declare your praise. Through Christ. Amen. After an amazing comeback win against the Milwaukee Brewers in the single elimination wild card game of the Major League Baseball playoffs, the Washington Nationals would face the Los Angeles Dodgers in the best of five National League Divisional Series. Three-time Cy Young winner Max Scherzer got the start in game four of that series. The Nats were facing, the Washington Nationals were facing elimination. And Scherzer knew that he had to bring his best game. Scherzer escaped a bases-loaded jam in the seventh inning to pitch seven full innings, 109 pitches, allowing only one run and four hits, seven strikeouts, three walks. The Nationals won six runs to one, evening up the series and sending it to a winner-take-all game five. And as you know, the Nats won that game and would go on to play the St. Louis Cardinals in the NLCS. After that game four in the divisional series against the Dodgers, Scherzer talked about experiencing real fatigue in the seventh inning. And he described his arm slot lowering involuntarily and the mental grind of pushing through to escape the jam. It was one of the best postseason games that he had had in his illustrious career. But now after that game, he said, I am toast. He reflected after that game with the reporter, and he laughed and said, I am out for game five. My arm is hanging right now. That just pushed me to the edge and then some. He said, I was gassed. I was emptying the tank, giving everything I got. Scherzer finished that game well. He emptied the tank. He gave it everything he had. And he continues to have that same attitude through the postseason and now into the World Series against the Astros. By the way, if you're following it, they have lost the last two to the Astros, and now the World Series is tied up 2-2. So it'll be interesting to see how it all plays out. 
Hold that thought for just a moment and let's go back in time to a Roman prison. As it is recorded in 2 Timothy chapter 4, Paul is writing to his understudy, Timothy, his son in the faith. This was, as scholars, many scholars believe, Paul's final letter of his life. The final of his 13 letters that we have in our canon as sacred scripture. At the time of his writing, he was imprisoned by the Roman emperor Nero. This was his second Roman imprisonment. And he was placed in the Mamertine prison in the ancient city of Rome. Today, if you were to visit there, there's a cathedral on top of the prison, and you could tour that, but you could also take the narrow staircase down into the dungeon where Paul was placed in a cell. It is thought that the cell was formerly a well or a cistern, and then the Roman government began to use it as a temporary prison. Both St. Peter and St. Paul were imprisoned here at different times. Today, if you were to visit, you could see the altar that's erected in memory of St. Peter, who was crucified by his choice upside down because he did not feel himself worthy enough to be crucified in the same manner as Christ. And the cross on the front of the altars, you could probably see on the screen, is upside down, commemorating St. Peter's death. But here we're talking about St. Paul, who at the end of his life was imprisoned for his faith, and he knew that this was not a long-term incarceration. He knew that it would be short and that his life would end. During this time, he was feeling very lonely and abandoned. And many, many of his followers had, had, had departed or had deserted him. If you go back and read all of 2 Timothy, you'll see that he even names some of the disciples that deserted him and left him and abandoned him. He says, only Luke is with me. Most likely Luke was consigned to Paul as a servant and his life was spared. And of course, he was able to go on and write the Gospel of Luke and the book of Acts as we have it in our Scripture today. But Paul is writing from this dark, dingy, cold dungeon out of despair and abandonment And he's writing to Timothy, his son in the faith, and he digs deep into the tank. He writes, For I am already being poured out like a drink offering, and the time for my departure is near. He envisions his life as an offering. One who he has given as a, a drink offering would be poured around the altar at the temple. You remember that drink offerings were poured around the base of the altar as the meat was burned as a sacrifice to God. Drink offerings were also presented daily in Jewish worship. They were presented on the Sabbath. They were also presented on feast days like the Passover. And Paul is telling Timothy that he views his own life as a drink offering, that which has been offered to the Lord as a living sacrifice. He's saying, I've emptied my tank Timothy, I have given it everything I got. And then he says, the time for my departure is near. He knows it. He knows that this particular prison is not for long-term incarceration. And the word translated time, meaning the time has come, is the Greek word kairos, 
which refers to God's time, not like chronos, which refers to human time. So he has the kairos has come. God's timing for my life has come. It is time for my departure, time for me to depart to my heavenly home. And therefore, Paul would write Timothy these words of encouragement. He comes to this sense of peace even though he knows that his life will end in death for his faith. And in writing that he's ready for his departure, that the time has come, he uses the Greek word analuses. It's where we get the English word analysis. And analuses means to untie an animal from a cart or to free it from its plow. Or to loose one from their shackles if they are imprisoned. Or, to use a camping metaphor, the word can describe taking, uh, untying the ropes of a tent to pack it up and to continue along the journey for the next campsite. This is how Paul views his life. He's moving on to eternity. And it also refers to how the mooring ropes are removed or untied from a ship as it's preparing to set sail from the harbor. Paul is aware of what is going on and he's prepared for whatever comes his way and he is confident of the heavenly prize that awaits him. In verse 7 he says, I have fought the good fight. In other words, I've done my best. He's not saying that we are to fight the good fight with fists and weapons, but rather through obedience relying on God to do our very best to be faithful to Him. He's saying, I've stayed in the arena. He's fought the good fight. As we seek to fight the good fight, we pray that God would turn swords into plowshares and that we would be peacemakers as we do His good work. And then Paul says, I have finished the race. I have finished what I've started. I've finished well. Don't you want to finish well? Don't you want to leave a, a strong legacy to those who follow you? I do. I'm a runner, and this is a metaphor for running races and finishing that which we set out to, to do. Yesterday I, morning I did a training run for the half marathon that's coming up. We had to uh, gut out 12 miles yesterday morning. And in my mind, I said, I am going to finish no matter what. And I did. I want to finish strong. I want to finish well. But I don't always. I have a lot of books on my bookshelf that have bookmarkers. A couple of chapters from the end where I get preoccupied or busy and I put it aside to read something else. And if you ask my wife Melanie, are there any things around the house that Bob has started but he hasn't finished? Well, she would say most certainly yes. Because there are. That's a challenge that we all face, right? But Paul is confident that he has finished, he has run the race, he has finished what he started. I read a story about a man named David Kuhn, K-U-H-N. About four or five years ago, he set out to run around the perimeter of the United States, the continental United States, 11,000 miles. And he did that to raise money for cystic fibrosis research because his granddaughter Kylie suffered from cystic fibrosis. 
you'll see a picture on the screen of his grandson who is leading him because he can't see more than five feet in front of him. And he's tethered to his grandson. Someone had to guide him this way in the entire way around our country. And he finished, and he finished well. This is what Paul is saying he has done. And then Paul says, not only have I fought the good fight, I've finished the race, but I have kept the faith. I have held to my convictions. I have certainly learned some beliefs. Some, there are some things I believe, but I have held to my convictions. I've been faithful to the teachings of the Lord, the core essentials of our faith, that Jesus was crucified, died and buried, and rose on the third day. And Paul experienced this on the road to Damascus. And you can read in Acts chapter 9 his conversion story and how God called him. He had a conversion and a call. This is where Paul is now writing at the end of his life saying, I've held to my convictions and I've kept the faith. And there's a, a really neat picture that I saw as I was researching this. You'll see the, on the screen it um, there's a congressman who served the United States Congress during the Civil Rights Movement named Adam Clayton Powell Jr. And there is a sculpture that honors him in Harlem. And if you look closely at the picture that Sharon will put up, you can see, keep the faith. Each circle, the first circle at the top left, keep the middle one, the, and the bottom one, faith. Uh, recalling Paul's words, I've kept the faith. If you were to go and look at this photo very close, you'll see that the words keep the faith are surrounded by small words. And those words are from all of the legislation that Powell got passed during the civil rights movement. He kept the faith. This pastor did. It was not easy. He kept the faith. And then in verse 8, Paul says, Now, Timothy, now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award me on that day. Not only to me, but all who long for His appearing. Paul envisions the heavenly prize. It's the same kind of crown or a, a wreath of garland that uh, an athlete would get after winning the Olympic Games in the early centuries. And Paul is envisioning this crown of righteousness. The Greek word is Stephanos. Stephanos. It's where we get the word Stephen. And Paul saying, I know what awaits me. It's the heavenly crown of righteousness that I will receive and all who long for His appearing will receive it. So Paul is reflecting on his life looking back, and then he's looking ahead as what, what awaits him, though he, he uh, has, has persevered through all of this. And he's encouraging Timothy that the Spirit would fan the flames of the work that God had begun in him. Finish what you start, Timothy. Run the race with perseverance and keep the faith in all things. Finish well. And we started intentionally today in the fourth chapter of this letter. I encourage you, as you go through your week, to start 2 Timothy 
here in verse 6. Read these few verses and then start back at chapter 1 and then you'll see all that Paul said to Timothy and all that was in his mind as he was reflecting on his life. And if you're taking notes, he, he offers seasoned words to Timothy, words not only to Timothy, but to the next generation, you and me. First, he offers Timothy and us a call to courageous living. Don't be afraid to live out your call, Timothy. There's words of courageous living starting at verse 6 in chapter 1. Listen. For this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God did not give us a spirit of timidity, but a spirit of power, of love, and self-discipline. So do not be ashamed to testify about our Lord or shamed of me, His prisoner, but join with me in suffering for the gospel by the power of God who has saved us and has called us to a holy life not because of anything we have done, but because of His own purpose and grace. This grace was given us in Christ Jesus before the beginning of time. So there's a call to, to courageous living that we are not to be afraid to serve God. And then second, there, Paul provides in chapter 2 the marks of faithful service. So I'm just providing some summary statements from each of these chapters that you could go and read and uh, in more depth this week. The marks of, of faithful service, I'm going to read chapter 2, verses 1 and 2. You then, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And the things you've heard me say in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to reliable men and women who will also be qualified to teach others. See, Timothy is a pastor and spent most of his time pastoring in Ephesus. And Paul knew that Timothy would need these words of encouragement and these marks of ministry to share with others. If you read chapter 2, you'll see Paul talk about being strong in grace, faithful to entrust others with ministry power, authority. Timothy, to be brave as a soldier, be hardworking as a farmer, be disciplined as an athlete running a marathon, be diligent as a workman, be gentle as a servant. And then in chapter 3, Paul offers some wise counsel during adversity because he himself knows that it is part of doing ministry. In chapter 3, verses 12 through 17. In fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. While evil people and imposters will go from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived, but as for you, Timothy, continue in what you've learned and have become convinced of because you know those from whom you've learned it and how from infancy you have known the Holy Scriptures. You remember in early in chapter 1, he talks about Timothy's grandmother who helped instill the faith in him. How from infancy you have known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. And then words that are familiar to all of us. All Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the man or woman of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good 
work. That passage comes from the third chapter of 2 Timothy from within the confines of a dungeon. He's telling us we've got to rely on God's Word, especially when times get tough. When we feel like we are emptying the tank, we've got to dig deep and trust in God's Word. And then chapter 4, he provides an urgent charge to proclamation. Timothy preached the Word. And we're not all preachers. We have different roles in the body of Christ, but we all have a call. We all have a ministry. We we all have a unique gift. And I believe Paul is saying to us that we have a charge to, to serve and to serve well. And to do that without being ashamed. Verse 2, preach the Word. Be prepared in season and out of season. Correct, rebuke, and encourage with great patience and careful instruction. And then down at verse 4 and 5. For I am... Verse 4 and 5. They will turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to myths. But you, Timothy... Keep your head in all situations. Endure hardship. Do the work of an evangelist. And discharge all the duties of your ministry. And then, for I am already being poured out like a drink offering. And the time has come for my departure. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Now there is in store for me a crown of righteousness which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award me on that day. And not only to me, but to all who have longed for His appearing. Seasoned words of wisdom for the next generation. Paul had a tremendous impact on young Timothy's life. If I hadn't said it already, Timothy co-authored six of the 13 Pauline epistles. Six of the 13 letters of Paul, Timothy is cited as co-author. Paul poured his life into Timothy. And now he is writing to Timothy and he says, come before winter. I hope to see you. I need your encouragement. He says, bring my cloak. Bring my scriptures. These are the only things that are important to me. And Timothy was faithful in ministry because of his encouragement from his mentor Paul. Who has encouraged you in your Christian walk? If you're not a Christian, who has encouraged you to come here today? Someone did. Someone prayed for you. Someone encouraged you to come to church and to be here. But if you are a believer, who has encouraged you in your faith? Who has fanned the flames of your call to ministry? Who has helped you to keep the faith and finish well? Think about, for just a moment, that person or persons. Maybe he or she was a Sunday school teacher. A pastor, a youth pastor, a children's pastor a choir director. Maybe it was a coach who was a strong believer. Maybe it was your grandparents. Your mom and dad. Maybe it was someone not even related to you at all, but part of a church that encouraged you. Think about that. 
Next Sunday is All Saints Day. And as we worship together on All Saints Day, we will come together to give God thanksgiving and to celebrate the lives of those HRBC saints who have gone to be with the Lord since All Saints Day last year. So I hope that you will come and not only celebrate the lives of these dear saints, but also give thanksgiving for the saints who have poured in to you. As we reflect on those saints today, how will you and I finish our race because of the influence they have had upon us? How will you and I finish our race with God's help? What will be your and my legacy?